Hey, thanks for tuning in, downloading, streaming, whatever you're doing. None of my business, but thanks for listening. This is Filmed in Canada, a podcast about Canadian movies. Over on this side of the room is William Lee and... Alexander Cairns. And on that side, we have... Tony Joe And Taylor Ramos. Welcome. Yeah. Hello. They're back. Oh my god. Your listeners can't see, but we're waving at them. I mean, well, no, I was dancing. It's but. like how Back to the Future Part 2 is better than Back to the Future. So this will be even more amazing. What kind of insanity? Well, no, what no, kind of wait, insane wait, wait, wait. No, that's, that's, that's like, I, I wouldn't fault that statement. He's, I think he's saying that because my boobs are a lot bigger today. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how that relates. About, <laughs> I don't know how that relates to Back to the Future 2 being back better than Back to the Future 1. However, Back to the Future 2 is not as creepy as Back to the Future 1. Yeah, and it's also super crazy and weird cuz it's like he's like having to fix all the problems that he created in the first movie and like I don't know. I haven't I haven't watched fun, them that closely and I fun, fun don't trivia. really care about either of them, but I like the second one. Better. Fun trivia, Back to the Future Part 2 was filmed in Canada. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you get Why'd you get us all excited like that? How dare you? I don't know. Uh, How dare you? So we're a podcast yeah. about Canadian movies. And the movie we're talking about today is Window Horses, the Persian epiphany of Rosie Ming. Did I get that right? Mm. Uh, the no. poetic Persian epiphany. I forgot the poetic part. Yeah. Great. Is that the key part of the title? I'd say it's pretty key. I mean, I would say the parentheses are the, are the key part of the title. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I mean... it's window horses, open parentheses, okay. the poetic Persian epiphany of Rosie Ming, and parentheses. Got it. Voiced by Sandra Oh. Yes. Hmm. I was very concerned when I saw Ellen Page listed on the cast directory that she was going to be Rosie Ming and they were <laughs> going to be engaging in another example of whitewashing. With, like Juno? Or, or no, I guess, is that technically... <laughs> no, it's like, specific. I don't... It's like or term-wise, is that considered whitewashing? When they have a white actor voice an Asian character? Well, she's oh, supposed like in, to be uh, next. Like in Kubo? Yeah. Um, whitewashing is more was... when they take like an Asian character and turn it into a white character. Yeah. Vo- voice acting is, is a nebulous thing in terms of that. Like, yeah. there's obviously some characters are, are supposed to be like ethnically and like specific. Yeah. Um, honestly, it would be case by case. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I, Rosie I just, Ming is supposed to be she's half, half yeah, she's Persian, half Persian, half Chinese. Half Chinese. I, either way, I was hoping that it would not be Ellen Page voicing her. No, and it I didn't it even was, realize that was Ellen Page. Like yeah. they did something to her voice that made her sound like I had. I remember when we were rewatching it. I was sitting there. It was after we learned the cast, and I was just sitting there thinking. I was like, did they have her plug her nose? Or did they put her like? <laughs> did they like? auto-tune her voice to make it sound higher and lighter because yeah. uh, you know her her voice is quite for like at least in my book of like female voices is quite low yeah so for sure i didn't it's, it's quite halifax she's on the <laughs> she's on the scarlett johansson scale in terms of women's voices i don't know what that is uh-huh. but i'll take your word for it she, I don't know, she, I feel like <laughs> it's she's an official feel. scale of women having deep voices <laughs> though i, like I she... have to say the best voice scarlett johansson ever did was in hail caesar Oh yeah, and it was when she when not when she was uh, being the actress when she was like off camera and yeah. she was like, "What do you want?" <laughs> like, I love you. <laughs> Everything about this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so window horses. Yeah. yeah. So, window window horses. Do you do you want me to give like a plot synopsis of it vaguely or please yeah, do? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Johnny. So, Window Horses is an animated uh, feature film produced uh, in in partnership with the NFB in Canada. 
Uh, it was directed by Anne-Marie Fleming, who is herself half Chinese, uh, and it's the story of Rosie Ming, who is half Chinese, half Persian. She writes poetry at home in, I want to say it's Toronto? No, it's Vancouver. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, Vancouver. it's Vancouver. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bro, the I'm joke, sorry, the I'm joke, sorry. the, the best the joke. joke of that of that He's... movie is the fact that sorry, she I'm... goes, she says, uh, Vancouver has more poets, poets per per capita than any other city, uh, and they yes. go, really? She goes, it's all the rain. <laughs> I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. You also know it's Vancouver because when she looks out the window, there's wild horses. Yes, and absolutely. Coniferous trees, dude. You don't get that. And the skyline. The skyline's Toronto. in the yeah. Tower. That's right. There's no CN Tower. Um, yeah. yeah so there's, she... there's, the, there's our garbage waterfront center. <laughs> we have the worst skyline. I, I don't know. I like it's, it. It's, well, are it's they all really designed great? to not be uh, interfere with like the mountains, right? Like it's all glass and designed to. Well, kind yeah, of... but all the new to like the fucking Trump Tower. It's just like we yeah, just have all hideous. these massive. I heard glass that towers. they've covered up his name. Well, they're they're covering up his the letters of the Trump probably to avoid vandalism. That's but the one in Toronto actually has had all kinds of issues. It, there was like bankruptcies and lawsuits. And like some of the some of the condos still aren't sold. Like it's a big problem. Yeah, it's been well, like six yeah. seven years yeah. since its grand opening. I'm not surprised yeah. in any way. So when I Rosie, heard, so when Rosie Ming, which is so she, Rosie Ming yeah. is in Vancouver. Well, she's trying to keep us, because trying to kind of keep us on topic right now. She, when so, she went to the Trump Tower, yeah, when, yeah. when Rosie Ming goes to the Trump Tower, she decides to become a poet. To play. <laughs> uh, no, so she's uh, she's a poet. She self publishes a book. Um, and as a result of that, she gets invited to go to a poetry festival in Iran. But you never really find out why. Uh, well, you, it's you eventually, do, you it's do. eventually yeah. revealed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For sure. We, we can get to that detail later. But, uh, yeah, so she finds, uh, she gets invited to a poetry festival in Iran, and then the film is, takes place mostly in Iran. In um, Shiraz. At, in Shiraz, as she goes around. Uh, experiencing the festival, uh, learning about Iranian history, checking out all the sites, and then eventually learning about her family, specifically her Chinese mother and her Persian father and how they met. And that nice. Which plot. is actually a very cute story. Yeah, like that. mm-hmm. That's my plot synopsis. That's uh, Thank you, Tony. That was very concise. Thank you. And now I will not speak for the rest of the part. <laughs> <laughs> lies. Terrible lies. So we saw this movie at the film festival, and it's getting a uh, Canadian release uh, in March. Um, Sorry, which film festival? The Toronto the, Film the Festival. The Vancouver <laughs> International Film Festival. <laughs> we are in Vancouver. This movie took place in Vancouver, at least part of it. And actually partly in Toronto as well. <laughs> but let's not go down that rabbit hole again. Um, well, I mean, most of it took place <laughs> in Shiraz. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so uh, it... It screened at the Vancouver International Film Festival, and mm-hmm. actually, Tony, you were on the panel that awarded it the Best Canadian Feature. Yes. Um, so that's sort of what encouraged us to reach out to you guys again to, to talk about it, both both for that reason, but also for your um, your experience in animation and your just general uh, thoughts. Knowledge on. I stand by the panel's decision. That's (laughs) so. um, Yeah, it was. I stand by animation. Figure it'd be a good opportunity to have you guys back on and um, talk about a really awesome Canadian movie. All true. Mm -hmm. I like. I like how at the end of it, you got like a really awesome. Canadian like it's so muted that's the level of enthusiasm for <laughs> a really the, awesome Canadian movie. well no I, I am very enthusiastic about this movie because I think it's, it's the qualifier I, I, think it, <laughs> I think it's I think it's fantastic and um, made me feel a lot of feelings so the feels 
Yeah. And I feel her product. Yeah. I will, I will, I will say, uh, so I, yeah, I'll just, for full disclosure, uh, I served on the jury for Canadian features at VIF, and uh, there was also another jury that was just BC yeah. features at VIF, and both juries, independent of each other, like, we had no idea what the other jury was doing, both of us independently gave best feature to this film. Yeah. So... Even though we were, yeah, we were on juries, like both of the juries, we had no idea what the other people were doing. Um, and we saw, my jury saw 14 Canadian features. Yeah. And yeah, this was the only animated film. And um, I hope he'll, he'll, he's not angry at me for quoting him, but um, one of the jurors, Andrew Struthers, said of the 14 features he saw at VIF for this, um, he said, some of them made him laugh, some of them made him cry. This was the only one that made him laugh and cry. Yeah. And that was mm. why he, he voted for it. He, he was the most forcefully for it. Okay. And then I was also on, on that team, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Nice. So. I did nothing to sway any votes of any which kind. Yeah. Taylor definitely did not watch the film with me and then nudge me and be like, that one. Yeah, I totally didn't <laughs> do that. She definitely didn't do that I, at all. I didn't at all. I didn't, I didn't say, Tony, this needs to win in any way, so shape, or form. As is, as is uh, <laughs> seems like... The majority of your <laughs> creative output, Taylor's in the background, yeah, t- t- influencing t- everything yeah, t- that you do. Just poking. T- Taylor's <laughs> the true puppet master. I am but the puppet. <laughs> That's why I just sit here silently. I don't need to do anything. You can't tell right now, listeners, but she's puppeteering me right now into saying nice things about this film. Mm-hmm. I uh, I agreed with uh, Tony's. Sorry, uh, I agree with Taylor's earlier comment that it is cute. Yeah, it's adorable. It is adorable. <laughs> it's um, an adorable movie. I, so I, I would like to explore if it is more than cute. Um, I, I'm positive about the movie. I, I feel positively about the movie. I, like, I enjoyed it. Um, but I would guess that you guys love it, whereas I like it. Mm. Well, why cool. do you only like it? <laughs> That's the bigger question. Well, let's I, I, explain. Yeah. I, your... could, I could give you a laundry list, but that of why I love it, but that doesn't. That's not as interesting. Okay. Yeah. Explain your Canadian level of enthusiasm <laughs> for this. Okay. Wow. <laughs> just hostile over no, here. Just, I think you actually initiated the hostility, yeah. and then and then Tony <laughs> Tony cut off of it again, much like your. <laughs> um, I don't your... take any of the blame. Okay. <laughs> just the puppet, folks. I'm yeah, just the yeah. puppet. I don't require a movie to. I don't require every movie to um, have multiple layers of complexity or anything, mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I'm I'm fine with it being a simple story about this girl's journey. Um, she travels for the first time. She finds out about her family history. Um, I think it is uh, it's told simply without a lot of complications, and I'm okay with that. I think there's a lot of visuals that are quite beautiful in it. I guess at some level, I just felt unchallenged by it. Both by the um, okay, you guys are looking at me like I'm gonna sh- like you know like no no, 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 no. I'm, I'm actually I I, I actually just, know where you're coming from because okay. I've I've heard this argument. Right. Not only that, but it is a fair argument. Like it does. It, it's it, it's weird thing. I like I'm trying to say I like it, but I don't love it. And mm-hmm. it's just but I mean, is it is it enough to like it? Well, of course. Okay, the, I guess what what would have made me love it, I guess, is if if the animation style was um, if I if I felt it was more. Um, exciting, polished. You didn't. You weren't a fan of the Picasso esque. Oh, the Picasso, Picasso face. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. I did not. I did not like the nostrils. Mm. That was distracting for me. The character design. I thought it was on first glance. I was fine with it. I think 
maybe if this was a uh, like a graphic novel, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have any problem with it because it's just like it's, it's it exists on the page. I I like that it's a different style. Uh, fine, but as an animated production, um, I just felt those uh, I felt the character design didn't let me see any emotions through the animation, and I was a bit frustrated by that. It just felt like it was um, it was graphical mm -hmm. like two-dimensional puppets that were just hopping around the screen i thought all of the um all of the acting did come from the human voice actors not through the animation and i like i just like a bit more i like a bit more dy dynamism in the animation when i uh when i watch especially when i watch a feature film mm -hmm. um so maybe i would maybe that wouldn't have been an issue for me at all if this was a short film i can yeah, I can understand that. Uh, for sure, I feel like the person who had the most liveliness in their expressions is actually Rosie's character, which is astonishing because she's literally like a she's blob. A stick figure. Yeah, she's a stick figure. Mm -hmm. But the way she moved compared to everybody else was much more fluid. Like when she would get embarrassed, you could see it, and everybody else seemed to be kind of, yeah, like you said, cut out uh, features. Even when, uh, what's his name? Dietmar got upset it was still just kind of him telling us that he was upset instead of him actually looking like he was upset mm -hmm. which is one of the things about animation that i really like is the fact that you can really play with the facial features and really um sh like express emotion visually uh in a way that live action doesn't necessarily allow you to do but could could we argue though that the movie is saying that Rosie is closer to her emotions and that all the adults are repressed jerks. No. D I don't think so. Demar <laughs> is definitely a repressed jerk. Demar is, I don't know, he just seems like a hipster. So, so wait, should, we, should, like should a... we tell people like the, the full plot at this point or nah? I, th I think that like usually in our discussions the general assumption is like you know, if you want to catch some initial thoughts, here they are kind of thing. But for the most part, we're just going to talk about it without regard to spoilers. And okay. Just whatever pops to mind kind of thing. Okay. Okay. Like, do you want to, do you want to talk about the ending as well at some point? Um, well, or, I mean, we, like, I wrote down everything that happened. Whatever. So, Let's just go, we'll, we'll see how we'll it turns out talk. in the end. Let's uh, keep going. It's jazz, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the, one of the interesting things, though, is the fact that they had guest animators. Yeah. Which yeah. I always like. In more, I guess, fluid-esque feature animations like this, when, and when I say that, I mean like there's no like, oh, this is the style and this is what yeah. we're gonna adhere to, and this is like the studio, like this is how we, this is this is the product, obviously. Like so, uh, when when individuals or like smaller places do things, they they allow themselves a lot of leeway. Do and, you? Sorry. Okay. Sorry, I'm interrupting you, so I can stand up and. Searching my pockets. William is searching through his pockets. What the fuck are you doing, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Vigorously looking through yeah. his pockets. The guest, uh, the guest animation directors. Do you know? Um, I know their names. You know their names, okay? Because I had that on here. But if you know them, Tony writes everything down, and I just guess. I'm like, I don't know stuff. Yeah. Are, do you know if they're uh, if they have like a prominent body of work? Any like, do they have any past uh, shorts or features that we? I am completely unfamiliar with every name on this list. Yeah. However, one of the guest animators' names is uh, Michael Mann. So you can tell his segment because it stars Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. <laughs> That's 
that's it. No. That's uh, <laughs> but that's Don't it. confuse people. <laughs> um, uh. I am actually really terrible with names. And uh, I... This goes back to a thing that I... A philosophy that I, I developed as a snotty teenager where I try not to look too harsh, to like too much into things that I like in fear of ruining it for myself. Hmm. So I actually don't know. Too bad you make video essays. I know. <laughs> I, but that's what but that's what make that's what makes good. You over you over research and then I come in and just smash it all to the ground and go, This is too much. <laughs> Nobody that's cares. Too much, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've started using that as like a little catchphrase <laughs> for all the that was, Bojack uh, fans there out there. I will say, uh, so I will say though about about this movie and about the expressions of the characters in this movie, I do I do agree that Rosie is more expressive than the other characters. However, I would argue that kind of the reason for the ghast animation and things like that is that most of the characters seem to express themselves through poetry and are otherwise kind of ciphers mm. in a lot of ways. Um, like there's a scene where she does, she performs her poetry for the first time and then the reactions of the judges panel, which are all women, and they just like raise up, one raises up a six and a half and the other raises up like a one. And it's like they just have such blank faces that it's kind of funny. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's that's a lot of the reactions and a lot of just like, yeah. Um, well, they they did they did that for her specifically because it was seen as um, she, yeah, improper she, for improper to for sing. her for her to. So to sing they didn't like her for that yeah. reason. It wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily based on her ability to be a poet. Sure, right. but I, I would say like I'm I'm not. Persian, I'm Chinese, but like if if you were to make this film and it were to take place in China and they were judging like a poetry competition in China and all the judges had like stone faces while they were judging, I would absolutely believe that. Yeah. Like I've been to competitions in China and the judges are like complete ciphers. Yeah. Hmm. But I I I feel like I feel like part of the reason and this is just how it comes off to me, obviously I can't speak for, for the director or the animators or whatever, but um, the uniformity of the faces, I feel like, contributes to the sense of uh, cultural integration, to a degree. Um, like it's 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 a, it's a story that starts in Canada, but then goes to Persia, to, goes to Iran, um, and incorporates uh, you know Asian characters, German characters, Persian characters, obviously, and at at no point. Is there any sense of those people being others, or um, there's no there's no conflict around what their cultural or ethnic identity is, and um, so I feel like it's intentional that that there is this kind of uniformity to to the character design. I mean, except for Rosie. Yeah, except for Rosie, and and. Um, I'm not sure if this is what you mean, but like yeah. uh, the the judges at the poetry contest, um, there there's a judge from Canada and Korea and the U.S. But they're all they're all drawn a little bit differently to show ethnicity. Okay, yeah, yeah. but it's not it's not like a huge, uh, what's the word? Like nobody is drawn with. Is, is anyone drawn with stereotypical facial features apart from Rosie's eyes? Well, yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, they're all, the, all the, 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 yeah, the eyes and noses and mouths all look the same. Like, skin tone is different. Mm. But but otherwise, I feel like they're, they're fairly uniform. So basically, okay. it, if you draw everyone as an alien, in a weird sense, it kind of, like, flattens out the, 
any kind of like you know stereotypically ethnic variation. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of the interesting things about the character design is apparently um, uh, Rosie's design is not the only time it's appeared. Hmm. Yes, yeah. Stick Girl is apparently Anne Marie Fleming's character for herself, yeah. yeah, and has appeared in other films, which I haven't seen, even though they're on the NFB website. So that's yeah. my fault. Yeah, I just think that's really. I th I thought that idea is, was really interesting. This, no matter what the style of the animation is, that if you could, if you have a simplistic enough character, you can just kind of insert them into whatever's there, mm -hmm. and just like depending on certain things, but in general, yeah. Um, I mean, it would look weird in a Disney style esque yeah. one, but like in this, it, it worked fine. It didn't seem that out of place, um, and I just thought that was interesting, and an interesting idea to have a character that ex an animated character that exists in the world, and kind of like an actress just shows up in different things. Mm -hmm. That was just my little tangent. Enjoy, <laughs> <laughs> enjoy that for what it's worth. Apparently it, it was it was designed because um, Anne Marie Fleming's broke her arm during school or something like that. Yeah, so maybe this is incorrect, but I read this on some website that she was a student at UBC, studying, and her final film was supposed to be animated. She broke her arm, couldn't draw anything except a stick, so that's the origin of the character. Oh, well, mm -hmm. that's my understanding. <laughs> cool. So says the internet. And we should all believe exactly what that says. <laughs> but I will, okay, so I will say, the um, for me, the interesting thing about the film is that it, uh, when you're talking about, like, simplicity, I actually think simplicity is harder to do than uh, complexity. I, mm -hmm. I actually think it's, it's far more difficult to make things seem simple. Wait, but, in what regard? Story-wise or artistically? Um, in the sense that you're always going to have people next to you when you're making something who are just like, eh, I guess, but isn't there a way to make it like, you know, more complicated or deeper or richer or make it like more exciting. And the thing with, with, if you're actually making something like the hardest thing to do is to actually tell everyone to be quiet and to keep it simple, I think. But, mm. and I like for this film, especially like, I think the, the design of it is such that the spine of it is very simple and very straightforward, but all of the tangents, like all of the weird little, um, all of the guest animated poetry segments actually do enrich the tapestry in ways that are not necessarily apparent. So I will do something weird. Um, okay, so the f first poem you hear in the film is Rosie's poem. It's like 13, 14 minutes in. She goes up, she performs, she bombs. Well, mm -hmm. no, you hear it in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, she sings about Paris at the beginning. Yeah, she yeah. sings about Paris, and, and she, basically she bombs. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't go well. And what happens is during that segment, as she recites her poem, you see her poem. You see what made her write it. You see what, the images and everything. So you, you're basically, you're viewing the poem. The second poet that goes up is a Chinese poet named Didi, and he basically recites a poem uh, in a very strange style, and you don't see what he says, but the way it's animated, you see her reaction to it. Um, and it basically is like, it's cold. There's like a, a it echoes weirdly. There's like a void. Um, it looks like sonar that just makes you sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, I, uh, I like I like the way they did that scene by, uh, uh, that is, I like the fact they did not translate his poem mm -hmm. for that scene. And you just had to experience it the way Rosie was experiencing it. Well, they, well, trans yes. they translated it into Farsi, I guess. 
That was later. Well, guess what, William? Oh. I wrote it out. <gasps> oh! Because... Because I'm... Well, actually, so at one point in the film, you see a very brief glimpse of the poem, but it's written in traditional, and uh, okay. I cannot read his, that guy's handwriting. So I sent it to my mother, Ooh. and then she was like, she typed it back to me and simplified, and then I read it. And I suck at reading Chinese poetry, so I'm still not quite sure what it means, but I can tell people the gist. Okay, so the... Well, I mean, we got like six different versions of it, and they all eventually came to the same consensus of what it is. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so here. Here's the poem in Chinese, uh, read normally, uh, because the guy, who, the way he reads it is very different. Hmm. Alright, so the poem is called Ma, which means horse. Or mom. Or run. Or We'll discuss that later. <laughs> or, or a bridge from one word to another. We'll, we'll discuss all those or, later. Or a question. Stop, stop, yeah. stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Let me read the poem. No. You are not respecting the poetry. Now, everyone at home, please just... No, I'm just messing. Um, <laughs> all right, and it goes, Pao ma bu ceng gui, du chi wan wu hui. Ta bian yi du ta xiang tu zhui, ren mian luo yu xin. So that's that's how you read it if you read it in a fairly standard voice. The way the poet reads it is he basically slows each word and echoes it like mad. So his first sentence goes, which is very, very, it's very ghostly. Um, so the gist of the poem, we sent it to a couple people just to ask them what they felt about it. All of them agreed that it is, on the surface, the story of a horse that has run away and it's not coming back. Um, and this makes the poet sad that the horse has run away and it's not coming back. Some people interpreted the poem as this person, the, the narrator of the poem, is a farmer and the horse has left him. Other people interpreted the poem as the poet is the horse, meaning he's the one who's run away and he's the one who can't go back. But it's not told first person, it's told third person. And to be fair, that's not an inaccurate description of who the poet is. Yeah, the poet Didi is, a, is an exiled Chinese poet. He left in 89 because of Tiananmen Square. Um, and a lot, my mother especially, interpreted the third line to explicitly be about uh, Tiananmen and the, and the exile that happened thereafter. Um, she, she felt like, uh, and her anecdote was that she had a friend who left China in 89 and then 26 years later tried to get back in and they stopped him at the border. Um, and so, you know, even 26 years later, uh, it, you can't go back. And so she, she interpreted those four characters, Ta Xiang, Tu Zhui, as very explicitly, like, that's Tiananmen. That's the, the fallout from Tiananmen. So, so like, yeah, the poem is never translated. It's never about, it's never explicitly stated what it's about. Well, it's not translated to English. Yeah, it's not translated into English. It's not even translated really into Farsi. Uh, the guy does very quickly just say, like, say a bunch of words after he, after he performs it. And my assumption was that that's a translation into Farsi. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, or maybe Taylor, um, you mean later, like, because Rosie tries to learn the poem. Right. And, and so that's why she has to get uh, two different dictionaries to do the translation. Mm -hmm. Which I found to be hilarious. Yeah, the Google Translate method of learning poetry. <laughs> well, I just thought it was funny because it was like, we have 
it was we have a Mandarin into Farsi and then a Farsi into English. Mm-hmm. And I, that was I, I love that. I love that just as kind of like a metaphor for trying to understand other people or, or family histories, because like your, your own, even your own story can be filtered through so many layers of, of language and understanding. And, um, so the fact that she's having to try and figure, figure out this poem, but also like trying to track down her father and all of these things through these language barriers just really resonated for me. Also uh, worth pointing out this, this poem, uh, this Chinese poem, uh, in terms of its feelings is almost explicit, not explicit. It's, it's, very, very close to the story she discovers of her father. Her mm-hmm. father mm-hmm. left as a result of the Iran-Iraq war mm-hmm. and then had to go back to take care of his dying mother. Like, the idea of exile from your homeland runs very deep mm-hmm. on her father's side of the story. So this being the poem is very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's an example of, like, one of those things where, like, unless you explicitly sat down and, and tried to figure out what the poem was about... Um, that like extra resonance probably wouldn't be no- like I definitely didn't notice it the first time um, until I actually sat there, sent it to my mom, and then she sent it back, and I was like, "Oh, okay." One of the other interesting things about this movie was how varied people's reactions to not necessarily the same situations, but like similar situations were. Uh, Rosie's reaction to finding out that Dee Dee is in exile versus how she her reaction to how she finds out that her father was. Versus her reaction to the fact that her father left them versus Dietmar's reaction to his father leaving. And mm. I find I find that to be one of the more interesting aspects of this movie because most of the time when I, when I watch movies that tend to have this type of like, oh, it's about your personal discovery, it's usually only told through one person. Mm-hmm. And we just are supposed to sympathize with with that idea and uh and be like yeah of course that's sad or like of course and the fact that they went out of their way to be like yeah that's sad but you know somebody else could might not think it's that bad or might not care or it's you know you like rosie reacted to Dee's exile with sadness but her father's with anger and it's just i don't know i thought that was a, a very interesting way of approaching just like similar circumstances of different people and how it's presented to you. And I think that it, it came across very well in this movie, especially as of how they animated it mm-hmm. because it, it felt, I don't know. It felt more emotional to me than I think if I, I was just watching people do it. Hmm. Yeah. I would agree with that. I, I will also say the movie does something interesting in that it shows that exile is you know, a lot of people have romantic images of, like, someone in exile from their country. Uh, like, explicitly in the story, there's a moment where Rosie is like, oh, God, I thought exile was, like, an amazing thing. No, she thought it was self-imposed. She thought, yeah, self-imposed. Just like, a thing that poets do. Yeah, yeah, like being an expat or something like yeah. that. And, like, no, very clearly he doesn't want to be, like, nobody wants to be in exile. Um, that's, that's... As Napoleon showed us. Yeah. He was like, ah, how dare you? But definitely, like, if you're from... It's far more common if you live in North America to meet people who are refugees or in exile from their home countries uh, than the other way around. There's, like... You know, the only famous exile from America right now is, like, Edward Snowden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure he would love 
to have nothing more than to just go back home and see his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's the kind of thing like it's easy to romanticize if you if you don't know the context of it. And the you know it's it's very clear in this film that like part of it is just simple naivete on her part that she just doesn't understand what it's like to lose your country because of something you said. Well, that's a that's another interesting aspect of the movie was the fact that this was her first time out like outside of Canada mm-hmm. and being exposed to different types of viewpoints that she, I feel like she never had she'd never really considered before. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's like her her naivete is constantly exposed throughout the throughout the movie and she slowly grows as a person to to not only ex, like I feel like to accept the fact that she's been very sheltered but to start actively seeking to break down those those types of barriers around herself mm-hmm. there's something um, there, there's hints early on in the movie about Rosie's character um, like she has on her wall in her in her bedroom in Vancouver, she has this um, "I love Paris" poster. Yeah. And there's a moment where uh, the edge catches the wind, and there's a poster of Iran under it. Mm-hmm. And then when she's packing, you, there's a, there's a photo of her father in the drawer. Um, and those are they're brief glimpses into her history, and it's it's not clear whether these are things that are like conscious for her, like if she knows this is her history, or if these are things that are just um, like the filmmaker telling us that there's another layer underneath. Um, do, do you think like, like, do you think the character is supposed to consciously have a poster of Iran that is covered by a poster of Paris? Yes. I think she consciously did that because she tried very hard to reject her father because she was so angry with him for, for her, because the way her, her mother, oh God, I, I'm just going to spoil this whole movie for everybody. That's fine. Do it. Um, her mother, uh, has passed away. She doesn't know where her father is because he, from what she has been told by her grandparents, he just flat out left and never said anything. And the only memory she has of him is is him is him being very like strict, and then disappearing one day. And her parents and her like her mom drives him to the airport. He gets on a plane, and then there's a car accident, and mm-hmm. she dies. Mm-hmm. So she lost both parents on one day. Um, and then to try and protect her, her grandparents, uh, you know, moved around Canada to make sure that he couldn't get in contact with her again. And uh, well, it was more so that the grandparents were selfishly like not wanting to lose her again. That said. too. Yeah. I feel like, but that's complex too. Like it's not, I don't feel like it's, it, it is selfish, but the same way it's, they did it out of, they, they, they are doing what they thought was right. Um, to me, like. Which ultimately was to way wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like but, so, so wrong. Yeah, but that's but that's the that's the messy complexity of life. Like everyone's deci- We all think we're making the right decision based on our own life experiences, and that's not always the case. Which is why I thought, you know, how other how other, how people were shown to were were being shown the same life experiences, and then their different reactions was really interesting because. Uh, she gets really upset with her grandparents, but I remember sitting here going, "No, they they did exactly what I thought they would have done." Like, yeah, but I still think what they did was wrong. Oh no, I don't disagree with that, but yeah. they don't. That's yeah. the pro- that's the thing. Most people don't see themselves as doing like no one's going to be do- going out there doing something maliciously. Like, 
Also, very, very few people actually do that. Also, mm. that's that's not exactly a... Um, it's not a common situation you can read about in, like, Dr. Spock's handbook for how to raise kids. You know, what Sorry, to do... Dr. Spock's handbook? Or whatever the heck it was. Like, there was this book published in the mid-1950s that taught people, like parents in north america how to raise their kids and i'm sure there was never they make they make a joke about it in the rugrats yeah and it's mm. it, what's his name it's like dr heimlich or something like i don't know that. but I, the, the point is basically that there's no guidebook for your grandparents of an orphan yeah like what do you do yeah, yeah. i was um i was estranged from from one of my parents for most of my childhood until i was like a late teenager essentially and um yeah, it's really tough to, like, try and trace back and figure out, like, whose fault was it? Like, why, why did this happen, right? Like, it's, it's very challenging to, to confront and to, and to understand. But I feel, like, I feel like this movie does a really excellent job of, of presenting all the different cases and allowing, allowing Rosie to kind of go through her own exploration and her own rediscovery of her own memories to really determine, like, what what her own truth is and what she believes is is the right way to move forward now that she has all this information. You bring up an interesting idea, though, and that's the idea of fault, which I found in the movie. They, they try to place blame on somebody, but obviously that breaks down very easily. And mm -hmm. it's to show that a lot, again, to reiterate my point from before, a lot of the times it's, it's not... It, there is no malicious intent. It's not about who's to blame. It's just people make the decisions that they think are best for either whether it's selfishly or if they think they're being unselfish is it's is a moot point. It's they're doing what they think is right. And whether or not that is right for another person is unknowable because you can't you can't live in another person no matter how well you know them or how like how expressive they might be about who they are like especially when we were talking about poetry you know when you when you learn about poetry and you, and you or writers and things like that people seem to think that they they know who that person is and you're still kind of like but you don't and that i feel like that that is another aspect of the movie that i really enjoyed was this kind of idea that you'll never know the whole story you'll never know the reasonings you'll never like that like if this was a real life situation the reasonings behind certain things probably would never have been discussed the, as openly as it was in in a film and that's just how life is fun mm -hmm. fact you'll never know another person truly is the title of taylor's book about marriage why? <laughs> Why did we bring that? Sorry, you just you brought the. You, I was like, oh no. Every once doing? in a while, I'll say something like this, and it just really makes Tony uncomfortable. <laughs> it, it's not that it makes me uncomfortable. It's just that, like, I I would agree with every sentiment that you said, but you you brought it. You brought the sentence to the end, and then I was like, well, now I just feel sad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. Apparently, I do that a lot. Hey, if we're going to talk about self-publishing, if that was what self-publishing. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, the Eiffel Tower. Uh, I, the, what was it called? My Eiffel my poems. Eiffel, yeah. yeah, my, my and then Eiffel on and then on the cover, it's like an eye, and I just, <laughs> I died when I saw that. I was like, this, 
Sorry, continue. So this is such point. a it's oh um, my god. Okay, a plot point maybe you guys maybe you guys caught something that I didn't catch. Okay. So um Rosie self publishes her book of poems at the beginning. And then throws it at people. Yeah. She distributes it she distributes it to used bookstores or something. We see it. By the like chucking yeah, like she's, it. Like she's um, handing out zines yeah. and it's the eighties. I just and like the fact that she would just be like <laughs> in the front <laughs> way. <laughs> I'll just leave it on the counter. How did she get invited to this poetry competition in Iran? Her father. Yeah, her dad. How did he get a copy? Uh, it just fucking happened, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no. See, I didn't even realize that's what happened. I, I assumed it was her father because the father contacted the organizer guy. Mm-hmm. And the organizer guy is the one who speaks to her and says that he's read her, her book. But but the, but the organizer says, um, but, but but who's your father? What what's your what's your oh, Persian yeah. name? Who's yeah. your father? Oh well, let me. That's a connection I might look but, up. But I feel like I feel like they can't really re- reveal how he got it. Like it could have been that she had it up on a website that he found somehow. But I feel like they can't reveal that because then they then they have to introduce the father character sooner, or they have to go back and explain how he found it after the emotional ending of the movie. You know what I and think? And that just doesn't make sense. Magic. I think the grandpa sent it. Yeah, <gasps> I was... da, da. he's he's I, I like no, but they they only find out about the book after she tells yeah. them that she's going to Iran. I was actually hoping that they would make, but, a but the grandfather. I'm not satisfied court. that they did that. But but well, no, but I like I said, I don't like they can't introduce the father until the final moment because that is like that's the climax of the movie. She okay. sees the father in the crowd and they but, have this connection. Sure, just let uh, me speak. Let me speak. <laughs> so hey, now speak this way. So. <laughs> They it, the movie has to end like that, so they can't introduce the father sooner, and and they also can't reveal that the grandfather knows about this book or if if that I, I just feel like I, do, I feel like it's not relevant, and doesn't need to be addressed, and he just has the book and that's totally cool. I like to point out that I liked her grandfather a lot because yeah. he seemed for for me he was like he he seemed very swayed by uh, his wife and Rosie's grandmother. To the, and then just as she got, he was just like, oh, I'm old. And this is tiring. Your dad's there. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> can, can I? <laughs> like, but anyway, just remember, you, you, Cash is king. It's fine. Anyway, you, you would oh, no. maybe like to respond to that? <laughs> uh, it, but it's, it's hard to backward engineer it. Like, yeah. I, I, I think the moment pays off. I think it's fine. Yeah. It's just, uh, but... How do you how do we make the connection if we now that we know all the facts as presented in the, in the story? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm I not, mean, I'm yeah. not satisfied that I'm not satisfied that the grandfather thought it out to to do that. Um, so anyway. Well, so. the other interesting thing is that he had the his family like and her father had pictures of her, and we know the grandmother wasn't doing it because mm. she was the one who was like, "You will never, yeah, yeah, yeah. see, we just have to hide you forever because." Her fear was just that uh, present in her through her life after uh, the death of her daughter. She was so scared, and I mean, fear allows people to do very, you know, extreme things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she goes to the house and sees pictures of herself. It's not the grandmother sending her pictures, and the mother. We won't know the mother died the same day, so. Mm. The only person who would know would be the grandfather. Mm. Okay. Can I, can I go off on a tangent? Sure. Um, I like how I gave permission yeah. <laughs> on a podcast. No. No. That's not mine. <laughs> I, 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 think, I was just thinking about it now. One of the things that I like about this uh, film is that it uh, tackles a subtle problem 
that I don't think most people care about, but that I kind of give a shit about, which is, going back to what you said, the nature of voice actors being the same ethnicity as the characters. Um, whenever you have voice actors who play certain characters, for instance, if you saw Kubo, um, uh, Charlize Theron plays the monkey and Matthew McConaughey plays the beetle, and they are supposed to be like animal-esque spirits with, of, Japanese, of indistinct Japanese East Asian origin. Um, Japanese. Yeah, and and uh, you know the townsfolk are played by um, Asian Americans, and there's always that slight level of things where it's like, we got to indicate these characters are Asian. How much of an accent do they put on when they speak in English? Uh, the grandfather in Window Horses is actually a fairly well-known Chinese character actor, and oh my god, I just blanked on his name. I'll remember Something it. Something called. One of the nice things is that he plays the grandfather with. Uh, I don't know if this is his actual speaking accent or he's putting it on a little bit, but basically everything is comprehensible, and after a while you basically stop noticing that he has an accent. Eddie Coe. Eddie Coe, yes, sorry. Eddie Coe, who plays the grandfather. Um, you, you basically don't really notice that he has an accent. I've seen films with where they have like ethnically Chinese characters where, all right, this is going to sound like a diss, but it sounds like this. Um, Oh, Paul, I'm so happy you want to make noodles for me. Like, that's Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. That's, you know... Um, what's what's the other one? Yeah. He say you Blade Runner. Like, that that line. Oh, the other great one is also from Blade Runner. Tyrell, he makes your eyes. Um, <laughs> but, like, that that's James Hong. And it, he's from Minnesota, too. Um it, <laughs> But he, like, I've heard him speak, and he does speak like that normally, and so it's kind of been a thing where it's like, okay, well, what's the level of accent that is, you know, acceptable without it becoming almost a, a, a considered, like, a parody? Wait a minute, what is your point? It's My, a tangent. It's a oh. tangent. My tangent is, like, I like that Window Horses essentially sets up, most of the characters in Window Horses speak with accents. Yeah. Oh. Only Rosie doesn't speak, really, only Rosie doesn't speak with an accent. Everyone else has a Persian oh, accent, German accent, she has a Halifax accent, no. <laughs> yeah, there actually could be an argument made that Don McKellar is, like, creating some sort of German stereotype. Yeah, yeah, Don McKellar is definitely playing a German stereotype, but I don't care. Uh, I have angst. <laughs> that, was, that was my favorite line yeah, yeah. in that movie, was I have angst. I'm not in crying. It. I have angst. <laughs> I cried. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever heard yeah. in my life. <laughs> But yeah, no. I have eyes. It, it, yeah, so apart from Ellen Page and uh, uh, Rosie, mm -hmm. uh, everyone else has has a non-native English accent. I would say. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, and that's, who in that movie would, if you think about it? Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. Like after a while, you basically stop noticing the accent because everyone is pretty much comprehensible. So there's never any any kind of like you're not fighting accents, which. I don't know if you've ever watched like Memoirs of a Geisha, but no. that's that's some that's some bad accent work. So anyway, props to the filmmakers for not. Well, I, I, but and I think I think part part of the reason for that is that, or and I I don't know this for sure, but other than the Dietmar character voiced by Don McKellar, I think all of the voices are just those those actors' natural. Yeah, they're accents. just their natural speaking voices, which yeah. is why you get it. It, it sounds fine. Yeah. And to point out that Rosie is voiced by Sandra Oh, who, she is, she's, she's Chinese, right? She's Korean. She's Korean. 
but she's played. And she's, she's but she's from Chinese Canada many times. She's from Canada, and she has mm. no discernible accent, regardless. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't. And, yeah, and and doesn't sound like she's. It's it's the neutral TV accent, accent yeah. that all TV actors get after a while, unless they're <laughs> character actors, and then they they play like you know southern characters, and then they always have that accent. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> the best Southern uh, accent. What's his name from The Shield and all the new Quentin Tarantino oh, um, movies? Walton Goggins. Yeah. No, the best the best character TV character accent is uh, a character named Cherry from the show Popular, and it is the worst, but most wonderful Southern accent I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's so good. Oh wait, sorry. We're getting we're getting off it's we're getting so off window good. horses. So, Are we? Yeah, we have ten minutes left. So. Oh, that's what that sign was. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was just saying hi to you. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. We've, we've ex- I feel like we've explored a number of different elements of this movie, but at least like from my own final thoughts, I just want to I just want to talk about that ending more and like just how profound and powerful it is for me, and and not even just the ending, but like leading up from when she goes to search for her father until the end. I mean, obviously, she's looking for her father the whole time, but there's a certain point where she speaks to a guy and and he's like, or, and she's like, how does everyone know my dad? Like, what the fuck is, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong what with is this place? This? That like, everyone knows him, but I can't find him. And, and, he, and his comment to her is, um, you're, on a, you're, like, you're on a search, so everywhere you look, you will find. And I just I love that line and I love that concept of of almost just like a life philosophy, like just something to live by. Um, but then from there, she, I think I think that's the point where she gets the she finds out where the hospital is that he's staying at, and then and then goes and then goes and thinks that he's dead. And like that was just devastating for me because like I would just yeah I would not want to have to live that experience. Um, and it was and it was just. Like I, I, I thought that he was gone at first, um, but then as soon as the as soon as the doctor walks in and, and she's like, oh, like I'm so happy to see you, like it, like knowing that her reaction was was positive, mm-hmm. I could immediately sense that he was alive. I, but I actually thought that was the funniest one, yeah. of, the, uh, one of the other funnier moments. <laughs> um, she's like, how could you be so happy? Yeah. And she's like, oh, he's not dead. It's fine. <laughs> he's over there. <laughs> she's like, oh, he's yeah, he's I, I, okay. I, and then and then so she's she's welcomed into the father's home by just a, a group of women, a bunch of cousins, and then um, who she all goes, know who exactly who she is. And she goes to give her final poem. She goes to speak her final poem, and it's incredible. Like it's so good, like that she says like today I saw my father's hands, today I saw mm-hmm. my father's eyes, and I don't remember that specifically, but I, I love movies that build up to a moment of. Um, of the character having to express themselves mm. and the character having to like live up to their potential kind of thing. Sure. And she totally does it. And then she sees the father and it's just amazing. And I, I don't know. It's a fantastic movie. I, yeah, I will concur with that. Yeah. Um, I will, uh, I will pontificate for a bit about the ending. Um, one of the things I like about the movie, I'm sure this will be fodder for some future kid writing an essay. Um, <laughs> All right, uh, there's, there's, Rosie performs three poems in the film. She performs her first poem, it's the first poem up, and then she performs a second poem in conjunction with Dietmar. They basically tag team, and they, they do a poem, um, like the Surrealists would. And the last poem is, is her translation, quote-unquote, of Dee Dee's poem, but it's basically, it's a new poem altogether. Um, 
the interesting thing about the film's presentation is the first poem that she performs, you see what led her to write it. And then you see some of the things. So basically, you what you see is inside that poem. Uh, the second poem you see, which is called Cow, is her creating the poem in real time with Dietmar. And what you see pinging back and forth is each person's contribution to the poem, but it's much more abstract. Mm -hmm. There are images floating in there, but you don't... It's, it's not like a clear story like the first one. It's basically kind of a creation. The third poem is the most interesting because as she says it, you see her on stage and then kind of shadow puppeted behind her is what she's talking about. So that's the only time in the film you see both the poet and the poem simultaneously in the frame. Um, so the whole film builds up to that. All of the other poems, and this is the other interesting thing about the film, some things like the call to prayer affect her physically. She literally gets picked up and dropped into another room. Some of the poems, she's just being told something that's happened, and so you can just see like the story of Iran or the first Hafez poem. Other poems are played like Didi's poem, you never see what he's talking about. You only feel her reaction to it. So basically, every poem is presented slightly differently in terms of its relationship between the story world and whatever abstract world that the poems are in. Um, and I guess what I'm saying is, like, if a live-action film did this with this much complexity, we would all be losing our goddamn minds. But because this is drawn as animation, we assume it's simplistic. Even though, like, to actually deal with all these kind of slightly different variations on it it's actually very hard to do that and to make it look like it's not being done and that's so. why animation is so neat yeah it's because you can do all those things yeah. and people accept it people will accept things if it's drawn out uh like it's it's it's, it's harder yeah. for people to accept things if they're people like people have ex will project certain expectations if it's live action and they will they are more forgiving when it's not yeah I guess, I guess basically what i'm saying is like this movie is somehow both impressionistic and expressionistic at the same time and and when you watch it you literally won't even notice like that's how well done it is um also and... the best one of the other best scenes is when um rosie is walking with Oh, yeah, she's walking through the snow. Walking through the and snow. And there's this overhead shot of the two of them walking, and the shot of Rosie is just a black circle. And it's just like, along. and it's just like making a, tr like, a, just a, like a, like a, like a, like, it's like a plow through, <laughs> through the snow, and the other person's actually making footprints. And I just think that's hilarious. No, it's, it's a really, really, really well put together film. Um, and they So do... everybody should go watch it. Yes. And listen to this podcast about it and all that good stuff. Yeah. Indeed. Thanks for uh, thanks for that breakdown of, of what's going on in the movie, Tony. That's uh, that's well, yeah. That's I I, I I hope if yeah I hope some student doesn't just rip that off and, and write it up in their paper. <laughs> um, that's assuming a that people are listening to this. <laughs> b that people care what you have to say about yep. the movie. Yep, yep, yep. C that. Someone will, someone will then write about it. Yeah, yeah. There are many things that would need to coalesce in order for someone to you know, steal, yeah, you, steal your like, ideas. Oh wait, no. There is one. There is one last thing though about the the film. Uh, this is something I read online, and I forget the writer who wrote it, but I think he wrote it for it was either Vancouver Sun or the Weekly. I don't know. It, Georgia Strait. Mm -hmm. uh, he wrote a review of it, and he said it was an interesting film because it presented the idea that art fundamentally comes from interaction with other people. Rosie mm -hmm. doesn't actually truly write a good poem until she begins interacting yeah. with other people. 
And it's not about necessarily what poems she's read because she actually says she hasn't read very much. Well, no, she's only read a certain type. A certain and she type thinks and a certain it's, amount. And she even thinks it's, it, it's a, a certain like era and it's not. And she's like, wait, what? Yeah, she's basically she's she's completely naive and she has no understanding of, of poetry, in a, like the history of poetry. But that's, in a way, it, the interaction with other people is how she eventually learns that. So basically, talk to other people, you'll become a better artist. Which, which is one of... <laughs> Tony's actually favorite pieces of advice when people ask him about like, or his philosophy on like what it means to, to be an artist and how to, how to make good stuff is you can't just do it by watching what is there. You have to actually go out and experience life and talk to people and then bring those stories back and then you can mm -hmm. make something interesting. And perhaps you will have a poetic Persian epiphany of your own in parentheses. <laughs> in parentheses. Well, the other thing about, <laughs> the other thing about uh, interacting with other people is you um, hearing other people's interpretation of art makes you rethink art and appreciate it. And I think no, I don't think so. Oh, stop! <laughs> oh, stop! Anyway, which is just anyway. I'm glad we had. I'm glad to have talked about this movie with you guys. Uh, it might bump it up past the like status for me. Ooh. Changing opinions. Ooh. Uh, we gotta wrap it up because we're, yeah. we're getting kicked out of here. Uh, okay. We have a, made up an arbitrary rating system based on leaves. Alexander, what are we swearing this out of? Do, it's been a while since we've done one of these, so I can we just do give not it? recall. Can we but I want to. I want to say seventy-one is prime, so we'll go with seventy-one. Yeah, I give it That's fine. eighty leaves and four hockey pucks wow. out of seventy-one. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, out of, <laughs> no, oh, wait, why? Of, so that makes total sense. It's <laughs> okay, good. It's good. sure. I give it a bushel <laughs> of leaves. Okay. And there might be a hockey puck on the floor. I don't know. It's over there. There were, there were, I think there were enough leafs in this movie to qualify it for an infinite leaf rating, but not quite. So we'll we'll give it a half half infinity. Wow. It almost it almost it qualifies for a tree. Yeah. A self sustaining leaf. So like an almond shaped circle. Yeah. <laughs> infinity. Yeah. Half yeah. infinity. Uh, I'll give it sixty. Great. Nice. Okay, so uh, find our other episodes and content on filmedincanada.net. Email us at filmedincanada at gmail.com. And if you aren't already watching Tony and Taylor's YouTube channel, please do that. It's uh, There's definitely no new videos at all. Every, every frame of painting. <laughs> I would absolutely. Anyway, I think right. we went Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks, Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.